the Cellcast is recorded in front of a live streaming audience. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Cellcast. Plus, joining me today is a man who... Well, I was going to make a joke about, you know, the front court steam where embarrassed by his name, but I can't think of a funny way to mispronounce Aaron. Aaron, maybe? No, it sounds terrible. That sounds horrible. That sounds horrible. Welcome, Jacob. <laughs> Why, thank you. Let me introduce our co-host. Oh, a man who loves the sound of a horse whinny in the morning. Welcome, Drew. Anyway... <laughs> say this much and that's my thing if you do not give money to us on patreon or hang out in our uh, live chat you just miss what that was a joke reference to <laughs> so yeah this is a live action movie review a one i've been trying to make you watch for five right. years yeah. so we're finally, you finally did it i finally found a way to force you to watch this film it's against my will it's against my will uh, yeah and it was against your will for a good reason we are reviewing tonight Young Frankenstein uh, by uh, it's Mel Brooks. Well, it was written written by Mel Brooks mm-hmm. and Gene Wilder. Flutter, yes. In fact, this was actually Gene Wilder's idea. That's I remember from something about that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's what we are reviewing tonight. Uh, trying to vamp until the music stops. Vamping, mm-hmm. uh, vamping. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, let's just go ahead and jump into our uh, spoiler free thoughts on this. Yes. <sighs> Certified fresh and spoiler free. I cannot tell you how many times I've watched this film. <laughs> Guys, this was a tradition with me and my dad. We watched this film every year for nearly 20 years. <laughs> I've seen the film a number of times to the point where the jokes are probably old for me right now. Mm-hmm. So you're laughing at this because you've never seen it before. Mm-hmm. Me, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that joke. It was funny once. It's it's funny now. It's just it's not laugh out loud funny because I know it's coming. That's the weird part about this. Yeah. Uh, it's still a good film. Do not get me wrong. Yeah. But uh, strangely enough, the <laughs> the comedy may have died for me. Uh, just oh, because of how many re- just how many repeated viewings I've had of this film. Yeah, you've become so, so numb to it. <laughs> there are still some cute things, yeah. but I've gotten to the point where uh, all the background jokes that you probably missed, I've caught them all. Yeah. So there's nothing more for the film to give me <laughs> that's new. So, so you've given up on the film? I didn't give up on the film. Ah, uh, this is still going to get a fairly decent rating from me. Oh yeah, but uh. Yeah, I have seen this film a number of times. Uh, there is some sexual innuendo in this. A little. More than you think, I think, because I think you might have missed a couple that we'll talk about later. Maybe. <laughs> I'll just, if you get a chance to watch it again, just look at the chalkboard and exactly how he's drawing the brain and you tell me what that looks like. Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> just saying. Gotcha. Yeah. So I've seen this a number of times. I do find it funny, but mm. it's gotten a bit old as many times as I've seen it. 
uh, I need, probably need a long break or to watch it with somebody who's not seen it in mm. a while. If we'd have had a chance to watch this together, I think we would have both gotten a kick out of oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's just not how our schedules work. True. So, yeah, this is one of my favorites. Nice. Uh, Like I've said before, this is the first time viewing this. I've heard, I had heard of Young Frankenstein over and over again. I remember watching another, uh, another, um, uh, Mel Blanks films, uh, Bl- Blazing Saddles when I was younger. Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks. That's what I meant to say, of course. Mel Blanks not in this film. No, he's not. No, he's not. <laughs> like, he's not voicing a character at all. No. Nope. Nope. No whatsoever. Mel Brooks films, I've heard, I've seen a several few, a few of his, and I instantly, like, oh my gosh, these are funny. And my good brother, my podcast buddy, uh, kept, like, Wanting to throttle me. It's like, watch the stupid movie already. <laughs> I don't remember what when it was. I assume it was probably the first time that I ever yeah, had, was, that uh 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 Cloris Leachman was ever on here because I made the the Frau Blucher joke. <laughs> and you had no idea. No, I don't know what that means. No idea. And I have intentionally made sure to keep that joke up coming yes. up every time Cloris Leachman has been on this. Yes. And unfortunately, I think this movie and one other is all we've got left. <laughs> Unless we happen to watch another live action film with her in it. Yeah. So I be like, there again, I watched it. I watched it on Tuesday, the night you gave it to me. Yeah. And I'm, I've been so busy working on art, art pieces and projects and the whole bit. Uh, haven't had really had the, the time to sit down and actually watch it. So, so I got finally got around to watching the rest of it. And this movie honestly is cracking. It cracked me up so much. Uh, there again, I was, I was talking with some uh, colleagues at work and I mentioned this. Like, oh yeah. I just finished, finished watching this film. Be like, you're going to watch it another time to catch everything in this film. Oh yeah. And I, I definitely can see that. But overall, I enjoy the mess out of this film. Like, yes, is there some sexual windows? Is there maybe things that might be a little inappropriate for younger people? Yes. Uh, is it an enjoyable film? Yes. Uh, it is a, a amazing homage to mm-hmm. cinema from the 1930s and 40s. Absolutely. Um, would I recommend this film? Absolutely. This is a wonderful film. Uh, I might have to borrow it again to rewatch it. <laughs> unless you, well, I'd say unless you happen to go to Walmart and saw it on a Black Friday sale. But considering how bad, bad Walmart selection is right now, I don't know if they've kind of have a Black Friday sale. Who knows? On, the, on, on any movies anymore. That so. is true, because last year they had nothing. Mm. But uh, I did enjoy this movie tremendously. Highly recommended to anybody uh again thank you for putting that you know that worm in my ear to watch this movie and and putting my foot down on what we were watching this month yes you did it's okay fine i'll watch this you know goofy comedy and then i remember oh yeah blazing cells i really enjoyed the movie is it appropriate is it appropriate absolutely not but is it funny heck yeah Mm -hmm. all right why don't we go ahead and jump into the spoiler filled section of this review then all right the following is a spoiler-filled review for the film Young Frankenstein. Listener discretion is advised. 
Young Frankenstein was written and directed by Mel Brooks, who also wrote and directed Robin Hood, Men in Tights, Spaceballs, and, of course, as you said, Blazing Saddles. Yes. It was also written by Gene Wilder. Uh, It was based on the book, the novel Frankenstein, loosely, by uh, Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley. Although, really, I think it's more of a sequel to that story Hmm. or anything else. I would I would say it's also an adaptation of the uh or it's it's definitely in the vein of the Universal Frankenstein films, yeah. but it's not quite in canon with those either, from my understanding. So gotcha. it's spiritual successor to all these things. Getting into the cast, of course, we've got Gene Wilder as playing Dr. Frederick Frankenstein uh-huh. or Frankenstein, depending on what half of the movie we're watching. <laughs> and he was, of course, Willy Wonka and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Peter Bull plays the monster. And on Everybody Loves Raymond, he played Frank Barone, where mm-hmm. in one Halloween episode, he dressed up as the monster. <laughs> well, the, the funny thing is, well, like watching this film, because they were going to, I didn't know he was in this film. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that's the old dude from that show. Yeah. <laughs> I was totally blown away when I was like, oh, <laughs> cool. Go ahead. Right. Marty Feldman plays Igor. And he, 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 I'll, I'll put it this way. This is the main thing I know him from this movie. Mm-hmm. He's a British comedian. Yes. And apparently in the movie, silent movie, which is another Mel Brooks film mm-hmm. where it's, which is literally a silent movie, except for one line that's actually voiced by a famous mime, mm. which is hilarious. But in that movie, he played a character named Marty eggs. And, Marty eggs. and before you ask, they didn't do anything to make his eyes do that in this film. That is how he actually looks. Yeah. He is, he is, uh, he's got that lazy eye. Yeah. Naturally. And boy, am I, I'm, am I glad he's willing to make jokes about it? Mm-hmm. Madeline Kahn was played Elizabeth and she was a gypsy moth in a bug's life. Yes. Cloris Leachman played Frau Blucher. <laughs> She was grand in the crudes and in an upcoming movie we'll be reviewing Ponyo. Yes. She plays KO. Okay. Terry Gar was the voice of Inga. And uh in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, she played Ronnie Neary. Really? Mm-hmm. Kenneth Mars plays Inspector Kemp. Gosh. And he played King Triton in The Little Mermaid. Yes. Last but not least, Gene Hackman hmm. was the blind man. Oh my gosh, I love that performance. And he was, of course, Lex Luthor in the 1978 Superman film. Yes. <laughs> Kingdom Hearts Connections. Guess how many we have. Oh gosh, not many because this is the 1970s. Uh, maybe three or four? Lower. One. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Can you guess who it is? Oh, gosh. Uh, is it a main actor? It's someone I listed. Oh, okay. Uh, let's see. I'll give you and give you this hint. When you were uh, over here watching me play Kingdom Hearts on the streams, mm-hmm. what was that two, three years ago? Yeah. You heard him. I heard him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
You heard his performance. Hmm. Woodman Gene Wilder. Nope. Um, crap. Uh, I'm clueless. What is it? I just mentioned what movie he was in that he plays the same role in the, in the game. Oh, really? Yes! <laughs> I'm sitting there going, how have you not caught this yet? I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember his name. Sorry. King Triton? Oh. <laughs> Kenneth Mars? Kenneth Mars. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay, where's that Malaga? Knock myself out. Here, let me help you with that. <laughs> Man down. Somebody on the Twitch side clip that. <laughs> I'm done. Bye. All right. That's what I've got for the cast list. What do we have? What do we have in info and stuff? Oh my head. All right. So uh info and stuff. Uh IMDB has an 8.8 out of 10. Available to watch on HBO Max. Production was uh Goose Gustav. Uh, Brenscher Films, Crossbow Productions Inc., Jutter Limited, distributed by 20th Century Fox, now 20th Century Studios. Release date December 15th, 1974. Box office had estimated budget of 2.8 million dollars, which is a lot of movie, a lot of money back then for a film. Uh, let's see, uh, U.S. gross, use uh, U.S. and Canada gross was 80. $3.7 million mm-hmm. and the same worldwide. Uh, home release. Young Frankenstein uh, became available on DVD for the first time on November 3rd, 1998. The film was, was then released on Blu-ray for a second time on September on a second. Oh, uh, yeah. To the, I was looking at the numbers as a way that makes no sense. Uh, for a second time on on September fifth, two thousand six, the film was released again for a third time on DVD on September 9th on two thousand fourteen as a fourteenth as a fortieth anniversary along with a Blu Ray release. Sequels. Uh, there is no sequel, but there is a play. There is a musical. There is a musical. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brooks adapted the film into a musical of the same name, which premiered in Seattle at the Paramount Theaters and ran from August 7th to September 1st, 2007. 2007. The musical opened on Broadway at the Lyric Theater, now the Hilton Theater, on November 8th of 2007 and closed on January 4th, 2009. It was nominated for three Tony Awards. The musical was to be used as a base. Hold on. Let me reread that. The musical version was to be used as the base for a live uh, broadcast event on the ABC network in the last quarter of 2020 with Brooks producing. However, the... Ever the product the production was canceled due to the COVID nineteen pandemic. Thanks, COVID. Actually, I'm not sad about that. Really, I have opinions about some of the uh, live action comedy 
uh, movie comedies that have been turned into to musicals. Yeah. Just opinions. Okay, fair. You did not mention that it was released originally on Laserdisc on December 4th, no. 1996. I didn't see that. It's fair. I just I, I knew it was on Laserdisc yeah. because I've listened to the uh, commentary on this mm-hmm. and they took the commentary from the Laserdisc. Laserdisc. Okay. And you and you can tell because Mel Brooks is trying to explain what the commentary is. He says, and this is if you've turned the the, the thing over to the B side, it's like, what is this like a record? Well, if it was Laserdisc, yes. <laughs> was okay then but anyway anyway that's all i have for it okay let's go ahead and jump into the summary dr frederick frankenstein is a lecturing physician at an american metal school and engaged to elizabeth a socialite he becomes exasperated when anyone brings up the subject of his grandfather victor frankenstein the infamous mad scientist with whom he does not want to be associated and insists that his surname is indeed pronounced Frankenstein. When a solicitor informs him that he has inherited his family's estate in Transylvania after the death of his great-grandfather, the Baron Beaufort von Frankenstein, Frederick travels to Europe to inspect the property. At the Transylvania train station, he is met by a hunchback, bug-eyed servant named uh, Igor, whose own grandfather worked for Victor, and a beautiful young female assistant named Inga. Hearing that the professor pronounces his name Frankenstein, Igor insists that his name is pronounced Igor rather than the traditional Igor. Arriving at the estate, Frederick meets Frau Blucher, the intimidating housekeeper. After discovering the secret entrance to Victor's laboratory and reading his private journals, Frederick decides to resume his grandfather's experiments in reanimating the dead. He and Igor, sorry, he and Igor steal the corpse of a recently executed criminal, mm-hmm. and Frederick sets to work experimenting on the large corpse. He sends Igor to steal the brain of a deceased scientist and saint, Hans Delbruck. Startled by his own reflection, Igor drops and ruins Delbruck's brain. Taking a second brain labeled abnormal, Igor returns with it and Frederick transplants it into the corpse, thinking he has transplanted Delbruck's brain. Frederick brings the creature to life with electrical charges during a lightning storm. The creature takes its first steps, but frightened by Igor lighting a match, he attacks Frederick and nearly strangles him before he is sedated. Meanwhile, unaware of the creature's existence, the townspeople gather to discuss their unease at Frederick continuing his grandfather's work. Inspector Kemp, a one-eyed police official with a prosthetic arm whose German accent is so thick that even his own countrymen cannot understand him, <laughs> proposes to visit the doctor, whereupon he demands assurance that Frankenstein, sorry, Frankenstein will not uh, create another monster. Returning to the lab, Frederick discovers that Blucher... <laughs> setting the creature free she reveals the monster's love of violin music and her own romantic relationship with frederick's grandfather the creature is enraged by sparks from a throne switch and escapes the castle while roaming the countryside the the monster first encounters has encounters with a young girl and a blind hermit referencing 1931's frankenstein and 1935's bride of frankenstein respectively frederick recaptures the monster and locks himself in a room with him he calms the monster's homicidal tendencies with flattery and promises to guide him to success embracing his heritage as a Frankenstein. At a theater full of illustrious guests, Frederick shows the creature following simple commands. The demonstration continues with Frederick and the monster, both in top hats and tuxedos, performing the musical number, putting on the Ritz. A strange light, a stage light suddenly explodes and frightens the monster, interrupting the performance. The crowd begins to boo and throw vegetables at the monster, who becomes enraged and charges into the crowd, where he is captured and chained by police. Back in the laboratory, Inga attempts to comfort Frederick, and they 
have a good time on the suspended reanimation table. One of these days, I'll actually remember to read the entire thing before I yes. copy paste it into my notes. That might be a good idea. The monster escapes from prison the same night that Frederick's fiancée, Elizabeth, arrives unexpectedly for a visit. The monster takes her captive as he flees. Elizabeth falls in love with the creature due to his enormous schwanstucker, while the townspeople hunt for the monster. Frederick plays the violin to lure the creature back to the castle and recapture him. Just as the Kemp-led mob storms the laboratory, Frankenstein transfers some of his stabilizing intellect to the creature who reasons with and placates the mob. Elizabeth and uh, Elizabeth, with her hair styled after that of the female creature from Bride of Frankenstein, mm -hmm. marries the now erudite and sophisticated monster, while Inga, in bed with Frederick, asks what her new husband got in return during the transfer procedure. Frederick growls wordlessly, like the monster, and embraces Inga, who, as Elizabeth did when abducted by the monster, begins singing the refrain, Oh, sweet mystery of life, the last I found you! I'm sorry, the minute you started laughing, I had to keep it going up and up and up and up. Oh, man, I love that scene. It's so funny. Getting into the trivia for this. When Mel Brooks was preparing for this film, he discovered that Ken Strachfaden, who made the elaborate electrical machinery for the lab sequences in the Universal Frankenstein films, mm -hmm. was still alive and living in the Los Angeles area. Brooks visited uh, Strick Faden and found that he had stored all the equipment in his garage. Brooks made a deal to rent the equipment and gave Strick Faden the screen credit he never received for the original films. Really? Mm-hmm. The shifting hump on Igor's back was an ad-lib gag. Oh, that's hilarious. Marty Feldman had been surreptitiously shifting the hump back and forth for several days when cast members finally noticed, and then they added it to the script. Perfect. Just perfect. <laughs> Cloris Leachman improvised the dialogue in which Frau Blucher. Oh, now you can't load the audio. <laughs> Fine, the joke's dead anyway. Off offers vom milk and Ovaltine to Dr. Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah. When Gene Wilder leans in to kiss Madeline Kahn goodnight in her bedroom, the last second quip, no tongues, was ad-libbed by Khan. <laughs> I love that line. Gene Hackman ad-libbed the blind man's parting line, I was going to make espresso. The scene immediately faced to black because the crew erupted into fits of laughter. I wonder why. Hackman was unable to repeat the line without laughing with the rest of the crew, so the first take was used. <laughs> Hackman was uncredited when the movie was originally released to theater. Really? Yeah. Uh, Gene Hackman learned about the film through his frequent tennis partner, Gene Wilder, and requested a role because he wanted to try comedy. He volunteered to play the blind hermit for free. It was four days of shooting for about four minutes of running time. Gene Wilder conceived the putting on the Ritz while Mel Brooks was resistant to it as a mere conceit and felt it would detract from the fidelity of universal horror films and the rest of the film. Wilder recalls being close to rage and tears and argued for the scene before Brooks stepped, stopped him and said, it's in. When Wilder asked why he was, he had changed his mind. Brooks said that since Wilder had fought for it, then it would be the right thing to do. But it was only when he soon saw the musical number along with a howling audience 
that Brooks was finally confident about the sequence. Last but not least, the musical cue where Igor calls the castle home mm-hmm. would become famous years later once the internet became a thing because it became used in the internet meme dramatic chipmunk prairie dog. You know, where the chipmunk turns around and you're bum, bum, bum. Yes. That's where the, this really? movie is where that audio came from. Really? And that's what I've got for uh, trivia for this film. Because I'm actually curious, what is your first like for this film? My first like, uh, I'm going to rearrange a little bit it. The uh, more the aesthetics because it was more that uh, Mel Brooks be like he he took the the took the dare to it's like oh we're going to shoot this in black and white. Mm-hmm. You know this is 1970s, and I think in one of the commentaries it was like hey this certain country just got color. What the world are you thinking? <laughs> And well, they've been using color for a number of years yeah. by that point. Mm-hmm. So no one in the film processing department remembered how to process black and white film. Right. Which I find hilarious. Yes. But uh, I love the aesthetic. I mean, like it's, it's, they, the, it is very much an homage, a, a, uh, a call, uh, not a call out, but more of a, um, I don't even say it a parody. It's not even a parody of it. It's just, it's a, it is a, it's a uh, reference to the original yeah, universal horror films. It's even more than that. It's, it's more of like, it's, it's a, it's a grand homage. It's a, uh, it's a love letter to, mm-hmm. you know, the 1930s and 40s universal monster films and just how like the aesthetic, how things are lit. Uh, because it, like, even in the 1970s, they, they had, you know, they had a, uh, uh, much grander technology to do things. But they use a lot of what they used to do use back in the thir- 30s and 40s to shoot these things like, mm-hmm. you know, adjusting the light and the whole bit. And well, they do that in more modern films. But, you know, they they took uh, Brooks took such great lengths to make this film so authentic to the time period it's supposed to be portraying uh, down to be like i just i'd be like i loved watching this film like uh, granted the 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 beginning of this film it has this very be like it's very serious and there's no there's no bits of comedy except for just like one or two bits i'm thinking like is this a is this a mel brooks film because i'm watching it it's like what in the world am i watching and then by the time he gets to transylvania here comes the comedy the oh, entire there, time. There were jokes in that oh, section. I, I know, I know, but it was just more. It was um, all set up to get you. It was all set up to get over there. But yeah, the 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 pure classic aesthetics of making a classic film in black and white, taking that risk, and uh, finding people. It's like, oh yeah, we'll take that, and to be like shooting and lighting, mm-hmm. and using original props from Frankenstein. And uh, be like, it is just, just like beautifully shot, beautifully created, uh, recreations of a lot of things from that time period in those class uh, mo- movie monsters that I just find very appealing and very appeasing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the the classic aesthetic, I love that about this film. So when you're when when you watch parodies, there's mm-hmm. usually they usually do it in two ways. One where they will they will give you the idea mm-hmm. of the past mm-hmm. uh, of the movie that they're referencing. Yeah. And then there's those that go full bore. And this is one of those that went full bore because yes. 
this really does feel like even with the comedic bits in there that it could be one of those classic universal monster films yeah it fits right in there yes it it's does. making fun of them it's yes. a but it's a loving parody yeah of, of these it's not necessarily mocking them no except it is mocking them it's i don't know it's a weird way to to put it's, that it's, it's very lightly lovingly mocking the original yeah it, it's mocking the what happened in there but it's still telling the frankenstein story like fairly straight i mean yes there are differences there are changes it's an adaptation mm -hmm. but it still feels like it could have been a frankenstein story yeah you've got uh with the with the original lab equipment in there mm -hmm. working with the aesthetic like you said the aesthetics mm -hmm. of the the transylvania castle and all that it's it's not till you get to weird things like uh the theater scene with putting mm -hmm. on the ritz that you're going oh that yeah what is that because it, it admittedly mm -hmm. as hilarious and funny as that is uh -huh. it comes right the flip out of nowhere yes. agreed <laughs> and so uh and, and, and that scene is just absolutely ridiculous. The but this film does really feel like e even if it's it's a, it's making a parody of it, but it's doing it in the right way. Yes, it's in it's the the closest movie I can think that does this with with the uh, Universal horror films. Ironically, I think is also a Universal horror film. Yes, but it's uh, Abbott and Costello meet uh, meet. Uh, Dracula? Yeah. Or it might be Frank, it might actually be meets Frankenstein because it includes Frankenstein, Dracula, and uh, and the Wolfman. Yeah. And they're all played by their original universal actors. Mm -hmm. and, but this is the closest I could think of it. Uh, uh, Neko in our chat is asking if this is a Frankenstein movie if Monty Python made it. No. No. Because Monty Python and the Holy Grail is literally just you would never accept that as the actual as, as part of the actual Arthurian legend. Yeah. This could be feels like it could be a Frankenstein it story. Could. Yeah, I agree. Like it's actually like it could be in the canon. It's not because it's different, but it feels like it could. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are a couple instances where it's like, okay, why did Elizabeth's hair turn white? Obviously, it's because they're now referencing Bride of Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. But how did it turn white in? in strips on the way there Very true. there's that is little things like that that even the universal monster movies wouldn't have played with that had mm -hmm. given some logical reason and there are a couple you you can tell that um uh, so i don't know if you looked at the deleted scenes no i did not there's a roughly a third of the film on those deleted scenes that was cut out really yeah uh and you can kind of tell when you know when, when you know that and when you've seen those lead scenes, where they might have been, because that seems to be where all the, the logic jumps seem to hit. But the way they edit around that, you don't notice it if you don't know to look for them. Mm -hmm. And at some point, you just go, okay, yeah, we're just making fun of Frankenstein films. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's going to be these kind of little bitty jokes here and there. But this, like I said, what I like about this film is that it feels like it's a Frankenstein film. It's making fun of them, yes, but it yes. feels like a Frankenstein yeah, film. Yeah, agreed. And honestly, the the closest movie I can think of that does this the same is Galaxy Quest. Okay. And I'll be honest, knowing your thoughts on Galaxy Quest, yes. 
I was actually afraid you weren't going to like this film because I, in my mind, it's the same type of film in the same style. And I was afraid this was going to hit that same issue with you. That's all I'm going to say. Fair. So, yeah, that's my first like. What's your second like? My second like would be uh, an actor and his character alone, uh, Marty Feldman. Marty Feldman. Marty Feldman is I- Igor. Oh my gosh! <laughs> the the first time he pops on, he pops in the screen, and he he uh he runs and he inter- he introduces himself to uh Doctor Frankenstein, mm-hmm. uh Gene Wilder, and it's just like immediately just pop me like he's got the character has your attention. In oh Every yes. scene he's in. He is like he is grabbing that scene and owning it mm-hmm. every single time, even even over Gene Wilder in some cases. Oh yeah, because Gene Wilder, an amazing com- you know comedic actor in his own right, but um, Marty Friedman as Feldman. Feldman, sorry, Marty Feldman, sorry, Marty Feldman, um, just like every scene, be like he popped like the 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 scene that comes to mind is where he is. Uh, be like they are being drawn into you know the secret door where the the, the laboratory is, mm-hmm. and be like, oh, the head that's been here for five years, two years, three years, and then, Fresh, it's, well, it's five years just, dead, yeah, three years dead, dead, one year dead, four months oh, dead, freshly dead. dead. Hey, I ain't got nobody, and nobody cares for me. I love it. Igor like, Frodrick. <laughs> just genius. Be like, there again. I had never heard of this actor before. Be like before this film. This was the main thing I knew him yeah, from. Exactly. I have uh only caught I, I've seen him in that silent film because I was that was one I was curious of. Mm-hmm. But if you have Disney Plus, go to the Muppet Show. The final episode is is the the one he's the guest star on and it is hilarious oh, okay it's also the one they had to edit the most out of because uh like the last they had to edit the entire last song out because it was all sesame street and they don't own the rights to sesame street <laughs> oh my gosh but yeah he um uh, marty feltman just like stealed stole grabbed um every kind of adjective word of action mm-hmm. like just describes his character, his like the way, like when um, Frankenstein's uh, fiance showed up. Oh my gosh. I was laughing my sticky head off <laughs> every single scene he's in. Mm-hmm. Like he is giving a hundred percent of a amazing British act comedic actor. And it's like, Oh my gosh, where is this bit? Like, I've never, there again, never heard of the actor. Be like, I'd seen pictures from this film. I didn't know who this guy was. I was like, man, this looks a little weird. But it's like watching the film and understanding like who the actor is. It's like, oh my gosh, this guy, this is amazing. So yeah, Igor is my second. Like, I loved this actor. I loved his performance. Mm-hmm. I thought he stole every single scene he was in, including a topping Gene Wilder. Of all people. Well, the thing is, Gene Wilder in this has to play the straight man yeah. to everything. Yes. The man who is Willy Wonka mm-hmm. has to be a straight man. Yeah. To every joke mm-hmm. in this film. Oh, yeah. Yes, he gets some great uh oh, yeah. some great jokes, but you're going up against 
Marty Feldman, for one thing, as yeah. Igor, mm-hmm. and so many of the others. And that's the thing I actually it leads right into my second like for this film: okay. the cast. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Every single person in here is on point. Uh, Gene Wilder does, plays plays the, the doctor so well. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite jokes in him from him is when um, it's, it's in the very beginning. The part you said that what didn't have as many jokes. <laughs> And he's explaining uh, to the student why he's doesn't care about his grandfather's work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He even goes, "My grandfather's work was doo doo." <laughs> I agree. Like, there's some comedy there, but it's more yes. laid back. It's not. It's not as like over and bombastic. Well, as you think of most uh, as as he's finishing probably. that up, he's holding a scalpel and in his hand, thunk. and he says. You have just as much chance of bringing the scalpel to life as you do dead tissue. Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly. What it was. I'm not. I'm not interested in the in the causes of death. I'm interested in the preservation of life. He stabs his leg with the scalpel, opens the hand, sees the scalpel, grabs a hold of it, crosses his legs, and says, "Class dismissed." <laughs> Yes, I and then the whole bit there before where he's explaining reflexes to the class. Oh yeah, that poor man. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. Oh, oh my. But that's and that's just to start yes. on this. He's got the rest of the film. It's the rest of the film does this so well. Um, you got, of course, like you said, Marty Feldman as uh, as Igor, the only person in the entire film to break the fourth wall. Yes, and he does it constantly. <laughs> And my, my one of my favorite jokes in that is when the, they're doing the charades when the monster strangle him. So, he, so he's trying to oh yeah, yeah. Trying that to was tell good to give him the sedative, and and they get he's, and he, Gene Wilder gets to the tiff part and he's showing to give give and and Agnes, give give him a sedative give, <laughs> and they finally and Inga finally resists tiff. They stop, and Gene Wilder just looks at him and goes sedative give. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, you're not kidding. You are not kidding. And uh, there's so many other good parts of them. Uh, one last little one uh, at the end, where they're pl- where they're playing the the sit- the song over the loudspeaker. Yeah, and you can see, and and, and Gene, uh, the doctor, is playing the violin part, and doing most of it, uh-huh. and and he, and Igor is sitting there with a French horn <laughs> counting the rests, and you're going, oh no, what's he gonna do? do? Finally. He stands up j- just right when he gets to it and goes, sits back down, starts counting time again. It's like, <laughs> you know, I don't think you have to be that particular, but that's, that is funny to the point where the first time I saw this, I, I heard that part and, I, and it took a couple tries for me to finally catch that. Uh, mm-hmm. If you listen, when you listen to the whole song at the beginning of the mm-hmm. film, you can actually hear a French horn at that part, do the, oh my gosh Uh, which i'll talk more about that song later uh but the acting in uh one thing i like is uh peter ball as the monster oh yeah yeah, yeah. he plays both uh the dumb monster and smart monster perfectly yeah to the point where you can tell he's in he just doesn't know how to talk for the most part yeah the I, I think right. Peter Bull is one of the other is the only other person to ever break the fourth wall. And it's that look when Gene Hackman 
smashes his goblet with the brandy. <laughs> and he just goes, rolls his eyes towards the heavens. And oh, that whole bit is, is hilarious. Of course, oh Gene Hackman's God. comedy in that is great because he great. has to carry the, the dialogue through that entire scene. Yes. And then, uh, of course, Inga, um, Madeline Kahn uh, as Blucher, and um, Ma- Madeline Kahn plays Frau Blucher. It's Cloris Leachman that plays uh, Frau Blucher. Mm-hmm. I think I just said that all backwards. Maybe. Inga playing Elizabeth. Uh, no. Inga playing Elizabeth. That makes a lot of sense. sense. No. Terry Gar playing Inga. Uh, Elizabeth being played by Madeline Kahn. Mm-hmm. And Cloris Leachman playing Frau Blucher all do their stuff excellently. But then we have to talk about Kenny Mars. This character, Inspector Kemp, mm-hmm. is the most, is in one of my favorite characters in this entire film. Guys, he's got a wooden leg, a wooden arm, a eye patch over one of his eyes, and that, and wearing on top of that eye patch, he has a monocle. <laughs> great, so freaking great. Like, he has an accent. His accent is so thick, no one can understand him half the time. <laughs> and he's got some of the greatest uh, lines in this whole thing. I don't know when we're gonna give me. Uh, okay, y'all know I. Uh, I've been. I'm on a. Uh, an audio drama called Gospel by Gaslight. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert: My character, uh, Doctor Verbolton, mm-hmm. I based his voice off of Kenny Mars in this film. <laughs> That's genius. Because it just fits. So I, I've got it dialed back a little because his thickness is a little too thick for what we're doing. Mm-hmm. But it's it starts it started there. So like literally, when I'm trying to get into the voice, I have to go. We must confirm the fact. That he is indeed following in his grandfather's footsteps. What? Following in his grandfather's footsteps. 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 Oh! <laughs> and that's how I have to get into that voice oh when my. I get ready to record that. And because he's he has he's so funny. The scene where they're playing darts. Yes. I don't know how this missed my trivia for one thing. Yeah. But the time that he throws it and you mm-hmm. hear the cat go. Oh yeah! Hey, the cat is Mel Brooks. That is the only Mel Brooks is always in one of his films. This is the only part he is in this film. He's the cat. And he's the cat, and it's just like we needed a joke. I did it on. I thought of it while we were doing that, and 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 he recorded it. But the funny part of that is, uh, you know, the doctors turned around. Uh, the inspector goes over and gets all the darts off the board. Walks back quietly. Turns around. Pops all of the darts into the dartboard at one yes. spot. Comes back. I don't know what he's doing to fire them with his prosthetic wooden arm. <laughs> this goes, and and the doctor turns around just in time, assumably to not see the last dart fly through the air. And he goes, "Nice grouping." <laughs> that and, and then <laughs> when he leaves, and he's going out to the car, and there's far more darts. <laughs> In that car that Gene threw. <laughs> Far more darts in that yes. car than Gene threw. Oh my gosh. It's like, wow, this must not have been a good game at all. 
to quote the quote our chat be like he must have used the force maybe but it was funny was, kenneth mars is one of my the character that uh, inspector kemp is one of my favorite characters in this whole thing uh so yeah the cast is my second oh like. my gosh what's your third so going into my second like uh i like the uh moral quandary of this scene because it makes more of the how do we how we perceive things mm-hmm. and uh you have the monster obviously played by uh P- peter boyle peter boyle and um the scene is done so incredibly well where be like the monster gets up and he talks for the first time yeah and he makes this amazing monologue It'd be like i actually wrote actually copied it down um for as long as i can remember people have hated me they look at my face and my body and they run away in horror in my loneliness i decided that if i could not inspire love with which is my deepest hope i would inspire i would i would instead cause fear i live because of this poor half crazed genius has given me life he alone has held the image of me as something beautiful and then when it would have been easy enough to stay to stay away of da- from danger he used his own body as a guinea pig to give me a cl- a, a clear um a calmer mind and something more uh i'm gonna butcher this word <laughs> but sophisticated sophisticated thank you yeah i love re- reading disorders uh eh, where are you a uh, sophisticated way of expressing myself. I thought that was the most mm-hmm. genius way to express the 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 idea of what we fear we do not understand. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- there's a little bit of the understanding of what the fear is in this movie. I'll get that in my dislikes a bit a little later. But uh, this brilliant this brilliant kind of because everyone in the the theater scene where it's like we're going to show. The mm-hmm. monster can do this, and monster can do this, and people are like, "It's like, oh, he can act like he can act like us." But then once he goes like full monster, and he's afraid, but like everybody's afraid of him. Mm-hmm. But once he talks, once he talks, once he's given the ability to speak, uh, people like immediately want because he's he's talking like uh, a proper gentleman. He's mm-hmm. he's acting like you know a no a noble man, and so now everyone's like. Oh, he's just one of us. Let's you know. Let's let's go and have you know go have a brandy or something. What's right? Uh, so it's this idea that if if we look beyond look beyond like the uh, the surface mm-hmm. of what someone is and uh, appreciate what um, appreciate the the humanity the uh, what the image of God in which we are all based on. Yeah. Um, and looking at who the person is rather than uh what we perceive someone is and sometimes we like i struggle with that sometimes i think we all struggle with that mm-hmm. and um i think if we if we look at someone who they are as a human and rather than be like we, we can we could uh, like we could point and be like oh this is an evil person this is an evil person or be like this person deserve anything but you know that's what christ gave us and dying for us to give us life and to give us a, a hope in life in a and so why would we cast people down? Why would we, you know, it's like this person, this person, this is a monster. It's like, 
why don't we show the love of Christ to the people rather mm-hmm. than just uh, condemning them and, you know, just show them grace and show them love and be like, and show them who Christ is. And the Holy spirit leads after that. So that when, when I, when I saw that, when I, when I saw that, that scene play out, I just, that little seed plant got um, watered a little bit in my mind. I was like, you know what? That's a good point. So yeah, it's the, the whole idea of how we treat one another mm-hmm. and because it's like, oh, he just he acts like us. Oh, there's nothing wrong. But when it's something we are are foreign or something different to us, we we act and um, belligerent to it. Mm-hmm. And I I I found that scene very very moving in very odd ways, and not the we we need to embrace everybody, embrace what they are, or their sins or whatever. But rather, it's just more like you know that that's a person just like you and me. And they should be treated like human being. And yeah, I, I thought it was a very moving, touching scene, even though be like, I don't know if that was what uh, Brooks was trying to go for in this film, mm-hmm. but that's what I drew away from it. So that's my third like. My third like for this film, it's theme song. Hmm. Transylvanian Lullaby by John Morris who was also the composer for the rest of the film, of course. Mm. This song is not the kind of song you would think would be in the front of a comedy, if we're being honest. And it's not just uh, the opening. It is a major song that plays throughout the entire film, Mm. diegetically, which if you don't know what I mean by diegetically, that means it's the, the characters in the film are hearing it too. It's not just being played for the audience. Uh, so we start off with this the, the movie starts off with after the you know the the fanfare for the title it just goes into this slow kind of sad little song and it's if you played that in like uh to someone and told them this is from a movie, but I'm not telling you what they would never think it was a comedy. No, it sounds like it's a song that would play before a tragedy, mm. which of course comedies are just tragedy plus time. Mm-hmm. But, uh, in general is what they, is what they say. Yeah. But, uh, the song is so beautiful. And it's, it's one, I, it's one of the, it's, it's one of the songs I went out of my way to find and put on my phone. Mm. Because I find the song very, very beautiful. Mm. It's kind of a, it's got a dark gothic feel, you know, mm-hmm. and it just sounds like it's, it's sad. And yet it's, you could fall asleep to it because it's a lullaby. Oh, okay. Um, but how it plays throughout the movie with it being the song that was designed to calm the monster and how it somehow spoke to not just, um, uh, the monster, but to the doctor as well. Oh, okay. And how apparently it's like in their soul hmm. to the point where it pulls them. The fact that it made makes the monster calm down enough and, and give him enough calmness that he's it's like he, when that's first scene where he see him reacting to it, it he, it, it looks like he's trying to capture butterflies. Yeah. He's just like grabbing like, it's yeah. that kind of a piece. And it's like wow, and it pulls him 
from well, and at the very end, it it pulls him from uh, Elizabeth, mm-hmm. you know, out in the middle of the woods, but yeah. it pulls him away from her, yeah, and draws him all the way back to the castle, yeah, and it's like. It's that it's a song that fits you that beautifully. And it's like, and no one cares that the doctor appears to be playing it because yeah, they never, they, even if they knew that that song was the doctor calling to the monster, they didn't immediately turn mm. around and run back to the castle. Right. It's, it's just a beautiful kind of creepy, yeah, but beautiful song that is just, I love the song. I, I can't tell you much more than that. It's just a beautiful song. And I have known to whistle, to whistle it sometimes mm. when I'm just walking around. Okay. So yeah. Transylvania lullaby is my third like for this film. Gotcha. And now we get to the hard part. Dislikes. Fair. Can, what's my, your first one? My first is like now granted this is a nitpick where they use either they slow down the footage or it just becomes a still frame. Mm-hmm. And it's just more like a character does this and they just freeze. But, you know, I understand maybe it's just limitations. Maybe they ran a film or something like that, or it's an aesthetic thing. But I, I saw there's two examples of that in the mm-hmm. film where it's either, I think in one scene, it's Igor, where he's talking, and then the film kind of slows down. Cause yeah, it, it, it does a freeze frame and then they flash like the backlight behind it to make it look like lightning is, so- is going off. Yeah, to so, make it less obvious that they yeah. did a freeze frame, but and that may have worked like in a on a on a theater screen, but yeah, on our HD televisions, yeah, we know exactly yeah. what it is. Yes, exactly. So yeah, it's just little little nitpicks because there again, it's a film from 1974. Yeah, and uh, watching it from a 20, you know, watching it on a 21st century television, uh, it's 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 a little aggravating because you you see. Because there again, sometimes like, that is more of the aesthetic of the time. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it just like it's not bad in this film. But I've seen worse in some films that were far worse. But it just it got a little annoying whenever you saw it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just the little snippets of oh freeze frame. I'm gonna jump on that probably for my first dislike here okay. and and. I know why that why in a lot of cases they had to do it, and that's because they were cracking each other up on set. Yeah, I and agree. so in a lot of cases, either they didn't like, for instance, with the Igor one, mm-hmm. I guarantee you they zoomed in and did not hold on him long enough. Yeah, when they and they did not realize this till they were in the editing room. Yeah, so they had to do a freeze frame and do something to make it work because they because your only other option is to go back and do reshoots and I bet you they didn't have time when they come to that probably point. not. So that's that's my guess on that one, but there's a couple other times where the cut is fast. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like we're in the middle of a scene and we fade out and go to another scene. It's not often and it's not like mm-hmm. jarring. Yeah. But there's a lot of instances where it feels like I think the scene was supposed to go on a little longer. Yeah. The I, I one I know for certain is the uh uh, the scene uh, where the uh, the doctor's getting strangled by the monster, mm-hmm. and then for a short second, it goes in on a close-up on Inga kind of inhaling, and then goes yeah. back to the same shot. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does that because the scene was originally longer, mm. but they could not find a good place to match 
between where they wanted to cut and where they wanted to oh, cut to. Yeah. So they had to put something in there to make it gel a little better. And they happened to have this other close-up shot mm-hmm. that they had on her that they didn't use where they were originally going to use it. Yeah. And they so they just stuck it in there. It was from it was for the same scene, but it was like before that, kind of like uh, a, gotcha, gotcha. a shock to see the 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 monster was up, mm-hmm. and they didn't know it. That's I think that's how that was supposed to go. Okay, but there are little things like that throughout the whole film, uh-huh. and times when uh, we just it seems like we're on a scene for like three seconds too short. Yeah, because the best way I know how to put that, yeah. the one I read the trivia for is actually one I did not realize hmm. that they did that for the at the end of the the blind man scene. I just assumed that was just the end of the scene. I didn't realize they actually had to cut that before people started cracking up on set. And cause that would have been caught on film. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I, I will grant you that there's a, there's a bunch of instances in here where they had to cut. Yeah. Probably far closer to where they needed to than where they would have liked to. Yeah. So yeah. The, the weird cuts. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of weird cuts, my second dislike of this film, I, I titled Fear. What fear? So we have this entire uh, where every, apparently everyone's afraid of the monster. Everyone's afraid of the monster, but they never see the monster. Through the entire film, none of the villagers, the... Uh, they don't see, none of them see the monster till the very end of the film. Yeah, very end of the film. And uh, like when he's revealed to in the uh, the the auditorium, mm-hmm. and yeah, and that's the only that's the other time when yeah, they because it'll be like they have this general fear, and be like even the monsters would be like I am so feared and blah blah blah. Because I keep thinking it's like is there is there a scene been deleted where be like the monster interacts with people beforehand? Because, so so there's be like I'm I, like you like you said there's like a ton of deleted scenes in this film yeah and there again i had not seen i've not seen the lead scenes yet so, so i will tell you that none of those deleted scenes at least from what i remember give a scene where that would be they were showing him being being afraid of this particular monster yeah you got to remember that uh within the setting of this world yeah victor frankenstein's experiments yeah was his was, grandfather yeah were so in famous and infamous mm-hmm. or infamous as, as that guy says mm-hmm that even the kids at the university that Frederick was teaching at knew about the story. Yeah. So obviously everyone knows about the Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein and his monster. And now keep in mind from the villagers point of view with no information whatsoever, they are, they know that another Frankenstein, Mm -hmm. despite the fact he doesn't like to go by that last name and has to change it around is living in the castle. Yeah. It doesn't take much yeah, for for, for, and, for, yeah. for for the paranoia to go. Oh, he's got to be, you know, building another monster, and it's going to attack us and kill us. Yeah, are they right? Yes. <laughs> well, they don't kill. He doesn't kill anybody. No, no, no. But are they right that there's going to be a monster going that's going to tear loose around this yeah. town? Yeah, it happens twice. Yeah. So, dude, it's 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 understandable. It's understandable in some capacities, but you know, going back to uh, the the monsters, you know, uh, monologue. Mm-hmm. At the very end of the film, where it was like, "Oh, I am feared. I am this. I am this." Uh, but they so, were making a judgment call based on yeah, nothing they knew about the monster himself. True, just on the stories that they were told by their grandparents. Yes, and sorry, no, no, you're good. You're you're making good points of it. Uh, so I think if they would have made more of a 
like uh, like there again be like legend and lore mm-hmm. definitely we're talking like very superstitious uh country towns yeah of definitely the medieval type are going to you know believe superstition and of uh of stories that are so mm-hmm. outrageous in the whole bit that even you know the paranoia and the fear is going to be there even though they have no evidence of it but i think if they would have made it where like the villagers had seen this variation of the monster this version mm-hmm. of the monster and they they would have more grounds to be more fearful so I think if there, I keep thinking there must have been a scene where there wasn't. There, there is no. Scene. There is no scene where the the monster meets up with the villagers prior to. Uh, well, I say that hmm. there is one deleted scene. It was Mel Brooks's only other try for a uh, uh, cameo hmm. that he ended up cutting because it, the scene just didn't work. Okay. Um, where he was playing like a traveling salesman yeah. and I don't remember exactly how it goes down, but the monster ends up scaring him off from town. I, that would have been funny. That would have been funny, but it does. I will tell you, I've watched the scene. It doesn't work. It's not okay. funny at all. It's and, and part 90% of it is because Mel Brooks is talking to the camera the entire time. Uh, so that's, that's part of the issue. Yeah. I think what would fix your problem with it still being fear the way they're, the fear of uh just the idea of a frankenstein living in that castle yeah like exactly Lisa, where they could still use that is had when frederick first got to town and he is following igor out to yeah the um the carriage the carriage the, the hay the hay carriage hey carriage. Uh, if there had been like one or two other people like on the platform like yeah. they're picking up and they run away when they see Frederick because they realize, oh, that must be uh, the, doc- the 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 mad doctor. Or here's another idea: yeah, bring in Inspector Kemp early, have him be there and give a warning about don't continue your grandfather's work or whatever. Yeah, or that would have that would have worked because it's going to spook the people of the town and they're going to be spooked anyway. That would give you enough ideas. Like, okay, the town is spooked at the guy. Yeah, because that, that's the other thing is that uh, Frederick does not deal with any of the uh, uh townspeople either true throughout the whole film true so yeah yeah so i just like good points very good points and all uh i i, I still believe like it'd be like it could have been a comedy bit or whatever kind of like you know the mm-hmm. melbrink melbrink mel brooks 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 you know he's not a voice he's not a voice actor well he um, is but he's, yeah but um yeah, I just I I found it if they would have like maybe where Doctor Frankenstein comes into town, maybe he maybe he would have ran into uh, maybe a villager and he introduced himself, mm-hmm. and people would have afraid that, or maybe like they would have saw like the monster in a shadow or something like that to give that elevation of fear because yeah. they're gonna be like you know superstition that leads into fear that leads into panic. And uh, be like, it's it's like it's a very classic monster trope, but I think if they would have like subverted a little bit to where it's more, it's like whenever they say the monster, it's something silly or something like that. But there was still this heightened fear that the monster isn't scary at all or something like that. But uh, I think if they would have be like given more rise to be like, oh, people fear me in that line that um, the monster says would have given more credence. Okay. Okay. So yeah, that's all I'm saying. It's like fear. What fear? 
I think they had fear. And I think they had oh, good reason to have fear. I agree. I agree. But yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Anyways. The fear didn't fit for you. I, yeah, I get that. It, yeah. Maybe. Wasn't, the fear was not believable for you, is what you're saying. Yeah. Like, because uh, I think they showed good reasons why they, they, they would be they afraid. Did, they did. They did. I, I think it was it's just, ba- it's just baseless fear. Yeah. It's just baseless fear. Yeah. So, anyways, anyway, that was my second dislike. Anyways, what is your second? dislike my second dislike Mm. is this is hard for me to come up with a lot of this because part of the issue here is i think you'll understand where i'm coming from for this a i've seen this film a number of times okay so a lot of things just don't bug me like they might be bugging you okay but the other thing is, is like almost every issue I could pro- maybe bring up with this mm-hmm. is very easy to go, but that's part of the joke. That's part of the parody. That's part of the, mm-hmm. of the aesthetic of it. Yeah. Granted, you have those things with the really weird cuts earlier. Mm-hmm. And that is, a, that would have been a legitimate problem even in the thirties with the, uh, with the original monster films. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's hard to come up with other little things. There was one little nitpick uh, I do have. And I'm okay. and so the candles. Okay. Throughout this film. Most of them are if most of them are not real candles. Yeah. They're like there there are wax, maybe wax cylinders with a little bit little gas pipe coming up that's yeah. putting out just enough of a flame, but it's something where in a hurry they can shut the whole thing off. Mm. And you know, if there's an emergency on the set or a fire catches up, they can shut everything off. Yeah, and and that's fine. Uh, so even when Frau Blucher t- uh, turns around holding that can that unlit, obviously unlit yeah. candelabra, turns around and says, "Stay close to the uh, candles. The stairs can be treacherous." Even when she does that, and the candles off, that doesn't bug me. Yeah, the part that bugged me. When they are up there with the bookshelf mm-hmm. and uh, they figure out how to use the, oh, the yeah, candle yeah, yeah. correctly. If you're wa- if you watch that flame, when they go to push down on it, the flame goes off mm-hmm. and lift back up. It's back on. Yeah. And I don't mean just like, oh, it, it moved. So it flickered. No, yeah. I mean, it's off and then back on. And that's the case throughout the rest of most of the candle flames throughout this film. Mm-hmm. And yes, this is very much a nitpick, but this is what pointed it out to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of the candle flames are tall enough mm-hmm. for the type of candles and the type of use they're here for. The, the flames are not tall enough. They're not, they, they, they can't really give off the light that we would like for them to give off. Now, granted, they don't actually have to give off life light during the filming because there's big, heavy stage lights mm. shining down on all these sets yes. and going to be blinding out a bunch of the, the flames. But I, I just wish that there was that the, the flames were just a little bit bigger yeah, a little to more make it a little pronounced. more obvious that they yeah. were actually lighting something up and not mm. just blowing in the wind. What times are there? Yeah. So, yeah. Agreed. Flames on candles not being big enough is my second dislike. Okay, fair enough. 
Uh, my third dislike. I don't really don't have a this third dislike. Good, because I don't really either. Okay, good. I was pushing it. I mean, I'll admit, when I was going through the doing that first part of it, I was vamping to figure out what is my second dislike. What is my second dislike? So yeah. So if neither one of us have a third, then we yes. need to go into our final rating yeah. for this film. I'll let you go sir, first. This is hard for me to rate because I have so much nostalgia yes. for this film. I think I'm going to have to give it an 8.5. Oh, okay. It's good film. Do not get me wrong. Yes, absolutely. And I feel like it's, this is not my, my gut reaction is not this low. Mm. I actually want to give it like 9.5. Yeah. But I have no idea how much of that is really the nostalgia and the the memories yeah. for this film uh, that I have, and how much of it is actual quality of the film. Because see, that's the thing. Yeah, I thought you may not like this because of how close it is to Galaxy Quest. Mm -hmm. But honestly, this is a film that I have no idea. I, I don't suggest it to people because I have no idea how anyone else will take it. Agree. And because because in my mind, it is. It's not the film I originally saw. It's the film I've seen 20 times. Yeah. At least. That where I, I know all the jokes front and back and I know the everything else. So to me, it's I hate to say what I'm docking this film for the most is the fact that it doesn't hold up on the 20th rewatch. Okay. <laughs> because that's not fair to any film. I, I agree. <laughs> But that's kind of what it is for me. It's like I've seen this film so many times that it's at the point, like I said, it's at the point where it starts to fall flat. Okay. Uh, so I, I definitely do probably don't need to watch this again, especially by myself, maybe for another 20 years, unless I'm watching it with somebody who's never seen it before. Yeah. And I can enjoy it. I can watch it through their eyes. Yeah. Instead of just watching it through my own where I'm going, Okay, gotta watch for that little thing. Gotta watch for that little thing. Mm -hmm. da, 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 da. So yeah, that's what it comes down to. Is my my I am docking this film points, one whole point, for me having watched it too many times. Something about that doesn't seem right, but yeah, agree. Honestly, it's because I don't know how much of that extra point yeah. that I want to give it is because of how good it is, or how much how nostalgic and pleasant memory it is for me. Gotcha. So. Yeah. What are you rating it? I'm giving it a nine. Okay. I I thoroughly enjoy this movie. It has little like odd editing cuts mm -hmm. that just like, okay, that made that scene a little bit awkward. But um it, it does have the you know odd sexual window here and there, but you know, that's what be like, you know, it's there. So like unless you want to cut around it. You know, don't do that because it's, you know, it's it's a freaking masterpiece of a film. Yeah, I would agree in that. Uh, I enjoyed it there again. My first time watching it, uh, my boss actually, when I told him, be like, hey, I watched uh, Young Frankenstein for the first time. It's like, yeah, go back and you know, just go back and rewatch it like three or four times. Oh, yeah. Be like, you'll, you'll get more of those jokes this time. It's OK. So I'll, I'll, I will definitely do that. Would I recommend it? Yes. Maybe not for younger audiences, mm -hmm. but. This is an amazing, wonderful film that I think most people would enjoy. Uh, maybe it's maybe not their cup of tea of comedy, um, which for me, I think any Mel Brooks film I have seen so far, I've thoroughly enjoyed. 
Uh, there hasn't been a Mel Brooks film I haven't disliked so far. So there might be one out there. I don't know yet until I watch it. We'll see. But I will give this a, nine, a, a solid nine. It is a wonderful film. So fun fact, there is only one cuss word in this entire film. Right. Do you know where it is? No. I don't it's re- at the very end. And Inspector Kemp is, you know, saying, let's uh, everyone come. Okay. Every, I, I don't know if I can jump back into his voice right now, but everyone come back to my house. We'll have uh, sausages and tea and brandy and someone. Pl- and, and, the, and he go, moves at, while because the, the monster is still holding on to his prosthetic arm. Oh, yeah. And oh, it yeah, pulls right. off it pulls and he goes, off. oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one cuss word in right. the whole film. So like, if language is a problem, this is fine. But if your kids are starting, if you don't want your kids to be exposed to certain things right maybe not yes anyway next week we are finishing off halloween month yes with a movie with a movie we've been to review four years ago (laughs) but it didn't happen it didn't happen because both of us forgot we were doing it because both of us like oh yeah because i I think i even said it was actually on the monsters incorporated episode Uh i said next week we're reviewing Coraline. Except that wasn't what the movie we were supposed to review next was. The yes. movie we were supposed to review next was Book of Life. Life. Yes. And I think neither one of us questioned it because it's like, oh, yeah, Coraline, that's a great film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, next week we are doing The Book of Life, uh, which is basically, the you know how when films come out around the same time from two different studios and they unintentionally are the same thing? Yeah. That's kind of what this is because this came out around the same time as Coco. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's kind of the same general idea gotcha so yeah we'll be reviewing that next week and that will finish off halloween month nice so join us on the other side of the bumpers and we'll be talking about uh what we've been watching some news and probably get into some x-men this podcast is a proud member of culture box Whether you enjoy geeky reviews, comedy, or original fiction, you can open up the Culture Box and find something excellent for your soul. Point your web browser to culturebox.media. This week, we suggest checking out The Rushmore Show. The Rushmore Show is a place for ranking the ultimate top four in sports, video games, nostalgic movies, and so much more. Each week, Andy and Kirk spark engaging discussions and friendly debates, making The Rushmore Show your compass in the realm of pop culture rankings. You can find them at youtube.com slash The Rushmore Show, where it's all about your top four and nothing more. The Cellcast would also like to thank our following patrons. Ashley and Francisco Ruiz, Book of Gaming, PaulJPowers.com, and Edwin Gonzalez. Or to get your name listed on, to get your name shouted out on the show, you can donate to us on Patreon, and you'll also get uh, uncut episodes and some special artwork from Jacob every once in a while. <laughs> Thanks. So, Jacob, I have a question for you. What have you been watching? What have I been watching? Morals. This I figured. Yeah. So. Most of the week, I have been busy working on projects, working on cover art for uh, Monsters Monsters University and trying to work. Still waiting on that last final version of that. Yeah. Just putting that out there. 
Yeah. That's, if, if you're wondering live why that episode's not released yet, that's why. Yeah. I'm waiting on that last bit of his album art. Yeah. The, this one's taking me a little bit longer because it's more like trying to find the time to actually do it. <laughs> right, right. And uh, so I should be able to get it done maybe tonight, probably early in the morning, but uh, it, it should be heading your direction as soon as possible. But uh, yeah, the only thing I've really like actually done was actually just work on art, work on art, work on this, work on this, work on this. And uh, like tonight I actually had time to actually just watch Rebels, you know, mm-hmm. before I come over here. So yeah, right now I'm in season two. All right. Yeah. So that is all I've been watching. What about you? So this afternoon when I was going through everything we I needed to watch for the show and I got done with uh, Lower Decks, I didn't immediately exit from my thing because I watched Lower Decks on the Paramount Plus channel on Amazon, right? Yeah. I just was just scrolling through and I happened to be going through uh, the freebie section there on Amazon mm-hmm. and I noted that they had a movie that I didn't think was legal in the u.s or outside of china because it is technically an unlicensed adaptation of dragon ball really it is the taiwanese unlicensed uh film dragon ball the magic begins and it is literally an adaptation of curse of the blood rubies really yes wow and it was made in the 90s and they changed all the characters names so that legally they were not i guess they were trying to but it makes sense you're trying to not be the film mm-hmm. but still be the film they changed the name of the dragon balls despite the fact the name is of the movie is so called dragon ball mm-hmm. they're dragon pearls they're dragon pearls yes and it's not actually a bad film. Okay. I mean, nine-tenths of it is like, if you've seen Curse of the Blood Rubies, yeah. you've seen this film, okay. except this is in live action, and it's a Chinese martial arts film, but mm-hmm. with animation to handle any of the more cartoonish parts. Right. I say it that way because uh, there is. Okay, first off, I want to say that when you when I started the film, yes, the title screen on Amazon said Dragon Ball: The Magic Begins, but the title screen translated the title as Dragon Ball Ultimate Edition. Ultimate Edition. And I got the feeling while watching it, this is not the cut that came out in 1991 of right. this film. This somebody went in and edited in new CGI. Okay. And by new, I mean as cheap as you can make it. Like, this would not have made it in Toy Story. Oh, wow. The first movie. And it was made, a lot of it was made as slapdash and as fast as possible. Yeah. So it, the, the film starts off you know, the title sequence with all the character names and such or the actors credits and, and directors and all that, you know, the opening credits. Uh, and it shows it's obviously supposed to be Shinron. Of course, using his Chinese name, <coughs> Shinlong, mm-hmm. which is the actual name of the dragon Shinron is based off of. Uh, 
but he's got these big bugged out eyes like humanoid eyes on the front of his head not where the eyes are on the dra- on dragon Moving like here. in front but will you remember um wish dragon yeah where the eyes are on him okay except the rest of his body is painfully obviously trying to mimic akira toriyama's shenron jeez and he's gold gold and i don't mean he's got golden scales when there's like well designed no one shade of gold <laughs> across the whole thing except for his eyes which are white olives with a black core <laughs> wow i'm going and, and the thing is i watched this and going i'm not because sh- the, the thing was this movie came out in 91 yeah and i'm looking at it and going I don't think CG was even have been around well been that good in 1991 where where it might have shown up in China and then there's these spaceships that that show up uh from time to time that also look way too good for 1991 animation. Yeah. And they're obviously CG. Mm-hmm. So it's like uh think somebody must have remastered this and that's why it says ultimate edition maybe but they really shouldn't have. There is one scene between the fight between not Goku and not Yamcha. Okay. Which I, I don't remember what not Goku's name was in this, but not Yamcha was Westwood. 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 Okay. Westwood. <laughs> and uh, they're doing this big fight scene in, uh, you know, cause you remember curse of the blood rubies and the ruins there. Yeah. Where uh, right after they meet, uh, Oolong, mm-hmm. which in this is Pigsy. 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 Uh, which admittedly that makes sense considering the uh character he's based off of in Journey to the West. A lot of times his name translates into English as Pigsy. Yeah, Pigsy. So <laughs> I must not have thought the fight went on long enough. <laughs> because at one point they do this punch mm-hmm. where like Goku, not Goku, is punching, and not Yamcha catches it with his hand, and they show this kind of shockwave. Yeah, and all of a sudden, they're in a PS One game. It's oh. that kind of animation. Wow! And they just keep fighting for like a couple more minutes, and then they do another thing where they, at the same angle, <laughs> do that same punch catch thing, oh and it's God. back to the real the real world. Wow! And you're going, what did I just watch? <laughs> Because it's like very obviously cut match to the same thing. It's just so you can have a minute more of fighting between the two. Huh? <laughs> it was goofy. I can imagine. So stinking goofy. And yet it was better than Dragon Ball Evolution. That makes sense. Uh, that makes sense. I need to get uh, Nate Nate to review this film on Film Vaults. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I watched that. Uh, of course, I watched X Men and, uh, and and Lower Decks, and of course, uh, Young Frankenstein. And I guess I really didn't get a chance to watch much more than that. Mm. So yeah, because I've been playing a lot of fourteen. Ah, so. What, Jacob, what do we have in the news? Hmm. 
for Cellcast News with your host Jacob Heron. and going into the news uh so i think i mentioned this movie that was going to be coming to apple tv plus called spellbound mm-hmm. from our uh, skydance animation well apparently that has all changed now so in the upcoming animated feature spot uh spellbound uh will be enchanting audiences on netflix as apple as apple has opted to end the partnership with skydance animation the film has been slated to premiere on Apple TV Plus in 2024. However, both partners reportedly agreed that it was not the best fit for the Apple original film slate. Variety reported that Skydance Animation, run by John Lasseter and pre- with President Holly Edwards, will now exclusively release its animated movies directly to Netflix in an arrangement that will span multiple years with the studio expecting slates also moving exclusively to the streaming platform. Other bit of news. Let's go back to the actual site I actually use for, uh, which is animation, animation magazine.net. If mm-hmm. anyone wants to go to that, you can go check it out. Uh, let's see. Uh, one of the most year's hottest movies, animated or otherwise, Sony Pictures Animation Spider-Man Across Spider-Verse is ready to roll onto Netflix following its $690 million box office. The visual setting sequel will be available in the United States starting October 21st. Excellent. With additional countries and territories being announced. Uh, let's see. Uh, yes. So yes, this will be coming to Netflix. So if you have not seen it yet, it'll be available on Netflix, Netflix by the end of this month. So going into a little bit more news, give me a moment as computers or as websites. All right. So, uh, we have mentioned the boy and the heron, uh, movie that is coming from studio Ghibli. Uh, let's see. Uh, Studio Ghibli has uh, G Kids has announced the English language voice cast for the acclaimed Oscar-winning filmmaker Hayao Miyazaki's newest film, *The Boy and the Heron*, uh, featuring the English dub of the film are Christian Bale, who will be playing uh, a soak. Uh, I'm going to butcher this character's name, so I apologize. So Chi Sochi, probably. Yeah, Sochi. What am I looking? Uh, right here. Yeah, Sochi. Yeah, Sochi. Uh, Dave Bautista, uh, William Defoe, Mark Hamill, uh, Robert Pattinson, Florence Plum, uh, Lucy. That's Florence Pugh. Florence Pugh. Sorry, Florence Pugh. Um, and many others. Let's see. So yeah, we're we're getting a list of that and uh. Christian Bell is coming back for another Studio Ghibli movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll talk more about him later this year. Yeah, exactly. So as far as I understand, that's all the news unless you have something else, Drew. I do not. Okay. So time for us to talk about some X-Men. Mm-hmm. Previously on X-Men. 
sulky, over funky, kinda hulky superhero. A two-fisted and electrically transistored superhero. And exotically erotic and aquatic superhero. The Marvel superheroes have arrived. His amazing friends, Iceman and Firestar. Unlike every other X-Men, okay, actually, here's a fun fact. Okay. Getting information, news, trivia, all mm-hmm. this kind of stuff for our X-Men, the animated series coverage mm-hmm. has not been the easiest thing to do. Fair. I've had to go looking for in different places and make decisions and try to keep some semblance of conformity between episodes, like, you know, when characters are making their debut, when mm-hmm. characters making their final appearances so on and so forth and for the most part i think i've done as well as anyone could ask Mm -hmm. this was the hardest one to do anything on because literally there is no information for part two Hmm. there is there is information i can get like cast lists the writers stuff but trivia there was no trivia no matter where i looked there was nothing on part two so if this is short that's why X-Men the Animated Series, Stormfront, Parts 1 and 2, which first aired on November 2nd, 1996 and November 9th, 1996. Mm -hmm. Directed by Larry Houston and Fred Miller, surprise, surprise, Mm -hmm. and written by Mirth J. Callow and Brooks Watchell, respectively. Mm -hmm. Yes. In this episode, the alien Archon comes to Earth and begs Storm to return with him to his planet to save it from meteorological chaos, which threatens his people. In the second episode, spectacular preparation for Storm's wedding to Archon proceed quickly. Okay. Guest cast for this includes Tony Daniels as Archon. That's and it. That's it. Okay. <laughs> Granted, there are more people who spoke in this, yes. but this is the only name I can find. Wow. Okay. And of course, this is the debut of Archon, ruler of Polmachus or Pomachus or Pomachokus, however you say the name of this stupid planet that I'll never have to say again after this episode. Because it's never brought up again. Never going to be brought back up again. I haven't even seen the rest of the series, and I know it's never going to be brought back up again. Uh, the X-Men not featured in this episode are Jean Grey, Rogue, and Gambit. Mm-hmm. And also, we do not get to hear from... You know, when we finally get to um, Evangelion, yeah, it's going to be sad not to be able to play that sound clip anymore. 
because it went from being okay that's funny to okay drew you could probably stop any episode now to i kind of like it now (laughs) it's becoming something it's okay when is he gonna play that yeah and the thing is once we finish graduation day i won't play it again unless we do uh well pride of the x-men it will get played during pride of the x-men because we are doing pride of the x-men yes but after that Unless we do X Men '97, yeah, which will probably come up. We'll probably we'll, do. We'll it. have to talk about it at least at some point because yeah. I'm sure both of us are gonna watch it. Of course, but it's gonna have the same issue that Lower Decks has for us now. Mm-hmm. So, either way, what are your thoughts on this episode? My thoughts on Stormfronts parts one and two. Uh, Thank goodness we did not have to find <laughs> here again about Storm's claustrophobia. <laughs> In fact, every location on the planet Photosynthesis or whatever the name of that planet is was so big, there's no way that she could get claustrophobic. Uh, so this 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 line from a, a very famous animated movie now popped into my head watching this movie, and uh, I'm probably going to misquote you. You can't fall in love with someone on the same I thing. the same thing! <laughs> Especially since... Some uh, at one point, I think it's psych. Uh, no, Professor X says, uh, "Into the unknown." Yes, <laughs> at one point, and then somewhere else, I quoted something else from Frozen, completely unintentional. Of course, because because this came yet. out in '96. Yeah, so I'm going. <laughs> How did that happen? Oh my gosh, but it's like that's the first thing I kept thinking because like in the first the the first part, it's like you know, she gets put she gets pulled into um gets pulled into the portal by you know the our our, our abductor is like you must come with me and blah 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 blah. Be like she's literally abducted by against her will, but she's doing it willingly somehow. And she's leaving she breadcrumbs. She was abducted against her will. Yes. But when she got there and he finally explained himself. Yeah. Or explained his story. Yeah. His story. He, she, she accepted it. It's like, okay, yeah, I can help. Cause you know, just from her, from what she's uh-huh. seeing, the people are in trouble. We got to stop it. She even points out what I thought was, okay. I'm going to let you finish, okay. but I got to get this off my chest. Okay. Okay. The don't... minute the word ozone popped up in this episode. Ozone. Ozone. Okay. I thought, oh no. This is going to be the Save the Earth episode. That's what the meaning of this thing. Somehow, this machine that he's doing is because I already could tell it was going to be the center of the problems with the weather and that mm-hmm. she was going to have to work around. I was like, she's going to have to say, she's going to say some point where it's like, that was the source of all the problems. If you want to take care of your planet, Archon, you should not try to dig holes in it or something. So some make some reference to us putting a hole in the ozone layer. Yeah. That is where this felt like it was going yeah. for but th- two, three quarters yeah. of both episodes. And then it was like, no, the, 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 what this episode is about is slavery is bad and you should feel bad. And he lied to Storm. Pretty much. He even at one point said, uh, the ecological now that the ecological uh, uh, tempest that the mm, eco tempest is taken care yeah. of, I'm like, it is going to be that. No, it's not that at all. God, I thought you were going to preach to me, Joe. <laughs> 
So you wanted me to preach to, but I was didn't. expecting <laughs> to be preached to, so I would have something more to complain about. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> So the, 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 the scene that got me, that didn't get me, but it's just like, what in the world are you guys doing? You're supposed to be her friend, supposed to be her, her family. So when, uh, that, uh, our, our, our main baddie of the show has, uh, convinced, uh, Storm or Aurora that it's like, oh, be like, oh, you're my love. You're my sweet. And the whole bit. I'm like, it's like, okay. Storm is a very intelligent character, a very intelligent woman. And she's falling for this guy, like you know, yes, head over but they, heels. But it makes sense why she fell for the guy. Yeah, because let's face it, when she was a child, mm -hmm. after she was both black and white in Abu Dhabi, <laughs> got to point that out. That yes. animation error is still hilarious. To yes, me. it is. But when she was a child, for until Professor X got to her, she was worshipped as a goddess. goddess. Yeah, agree. That's gonna do something to you psychologically yeah wolverine she, pointed that out yeah yeah and wolverine, yeah, he said, wolverine pointed that out and honestly as empress of this planet it was feeding into that yeah agreed until she finally realized what the crap was going on yeah so the, so the, I, I get it i get it yeah so the the part where uh she's convincing her friends except logan because logan is like yeah something doesn't smell right about this but her friends are like Oh, this is the most amazing because Jean like uh uh Jubilee's like, oh yeah, I'm totally in with this. And then you have Hank, who is more like, oh, I'm gonna support my friend no matter what, be like knowing something might be up with this. And then Scott is just like, it's like, well, be like, as long as he makes you happy, I'm like, you're not being a friend here. <laughs> you know something's up. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like you have a family member who's doing something, you know, probably shouldn't be doing, but you let her do it anyway. What is wrong with you? I sound like Nate for some reason. Ratmaster activated. <laughs> You're welcome, Nate. Uh, oh, my gosh. But like the 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 plot of, oh, it, it's it's not what you it's not what you think. And it's just like, no, shh. Shirley Temple, Sherlock. <laughs> you were horrible, you know that? <laughs> because we both censored ourselves this episode. <laughs> and everyone knows what we exactly. were supposed to say. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was like, okay, yeah, we, we, it's okay. This guy's obviously, he's a, he's a evil dictator who is enslaving these poor people to mine this certain gym and i'm like storm be like you're obviously a very intelligent woman and be like you i know she's wrapped up in this be like oh i'm gonna be queen i'm falling in love with this man in one day seriously woman seriously um for a person who's fallen in love with a woman, it's like, yeah, that took me a while. Now, granted, you asked Ashley, be like, she fell in love with me before we started dating, but that that's neither here or there. But uh, there, I think it's from a guy's perspective, like, what are you thinking? Uh, falling in love with someone the first day. <laughs> yeah, again, Elsa. <laughs> but, uh, and then it'd be like, the plot comes very obviously what's really happening. It's like this guy is controlling controlling the weather. He's using this device to uh, keep the enslaved population in line and in check. Mm -hmm. And uh, this whole uh, 
device. I, what what would you call that? The um, crystal on a tower. Crystal on a tower. That's, I, I, this is one. This is one of those magic science devices. Yeah, you don't need to know how it works. It's not important that it works. All we know is somehow it works. Yeah, it works. It is somehow keeping the power transmitted to all of the call slave callers. Yeah. Everything else. And I was like, it, 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 uh, it powers the defenses of the planet. It's like, you mean, you mean the stupid collars. That's what that's you like, mean. And so they're like robots. I'm sitting there going, this is an advanced society. Uh huh. You're telling me you don't have a coin sized battery that lasts forever. <laughs> or until after the slave dies. Yeah. I know this sounds really bad about me trying yes. to say, here's how to run your slave dictatorship. But <laughs> why does it have to, why Don't does the power have to be transmitted at such a frequency that it causes an eco-terrorism disaster? Yeah. It, it, it causes your weather to go nuts. And here's another thing. Here's another thing. Episode. So be like, he, he brings storm to his planet because her power can uh, neutralize what the storm's going on. Even though knowing that this crystal, this device is causing everything. So you have throughout the entire first part of the episode, or part one at least, where uh, it's emphasized that Storm has to be focused and a lot of throughout the episodes mm -hmm. of X-Men the MA series where Storm has to be focused on something in order for to maintain uh, clarity right. and make sure everything doesn't go wrong. somehow she's able to get this to a point after it, she drops it for a sh short minute. Yeah. She's able to get to a point where it will stabilize yeah and she's having normal episode? conversations she's not like meditating and yeah. be, like doesn't blow her concentration like, and there, there's so many other points in this where be like she's chopping talking with jubilee and uh like something's going wrong it'd be like wouldn't that be the point where the storm would come back but it never does so it's like a plot point that came in and they dropped it yeah so it's just like Okay, why don't you make it where be like Storm does this and it makes more sense because then you just drop the 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 initial um genesis into the story by your second episode. Let's let's be perfectly honest. The writing is not in this episode. No, it's not. This is the worst written episode of the series so far. The, the, it's a worst written two part of the episode. Uh I, I suspect I, I haven't looked through the rest of the episodes yeah. yet. I suspect season five does not have the same writers that seasons one through four had. Probably not. But uh, I would say the the plot point of uh, where they discover like, oh, it's slavery. Oh, it's just me like and how our, our main baddie just uh, refuses to like even acknowledge a slave's life. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I enjoy that to where uh, Aurora Aurora. Am I saying that right? Aurora. 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 Aurora is like giving him the advice to be like, hey, all life matters. This kind of be like, I enjoyed that part. Uh, there, there's parts where Wolverine is like, I know something's wrong. Everybody starts to discover the truth of what's what's behind this. And uh, the the line where Wolverine is like, it's like, yeah, I don't think that's a, a school bus going somewhere. <laughs> I love that line. Yeah. There, because I, I think still the animation in this looks really good. It's a maybe they're not off model. They look good. They're were, animated well. There were a couple instances where uh, in the old animation style, you would not have seen the eyes disappear at the, at the angle that they were at. In right. this instance, it was, they would turn just a little bit and go, oh, I see Storm's mm -hmm. eye socket, but mm -hmm. not her eye. Yes. That's not 
creepy at all. <laughs> no, no, of course not. I granted, yes, the animation it does feel cheaper here mm-hmm. because it does feel like they're not moving as much agreed as they were before and granted but jim, lee's, more jim lee's yeah. art style yeah is was always hard to animate of course for this show so what we were getting in seasons one through four was still amazing animation for what yeah, it was agreed here they are taking it cheaper with being you know a little more uh stationary yeah when when, when there's when stuff's going on but uh it's it kind of i still think the art looks better it's yeah, just it not, does. the art is not animated as well agreed agreed yeah fun note if be like if they would have gotten a sixth season they would have changed the animation style over and switched from from a jim lee style to a joe manarera style mm-hmm. which joe manarera was a very famous comic artist in the 90s who did x-men whom is one of my favorite artists of all time and i would have been like yes please i would have watched it in a heartbeat but um but well, yeah, we are getting a sixth season. It's just we are, season one of X Men ninety seven. Yeah, and they are sticking with the, pretty much the Jim Lee art style. Kind of. It's 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 a much newer ver. It, yeah. It's it's based on it, but mm-hmm. it's obviously been worked. It's it's been vectorized. Yeah. To because it's going to be vector animation. Mm. Yeah, but overall, I'll be like I that I have problems with this story. Um. And it's just like, okay, yeah, we, we we understand what you're going through. It's a good message of be like, hey, you don't enslave people for your own benefit. Uh, but we had that episode in season one on the episode called Slave Island. Yeah. <laughs> Which also involved storm and claustrophobia. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, we didn't have claustrophobia in this episode. It's like the one bright spot in this. <laughs> it's like we got, a f- ep- we got a storm focus episode, which admittedly we have not had since season one. Yeah, where season one went crazy with it. Yeah, so it's nice to have a story. Yes, well, she was involved in Have Yourself a Morlock Little Christmas. Yes, she was. She she was a major character in that. But this is like the first one where it's actually focused on her. Yeah, as a as just a regular character and having her deal with this. And it's like the first time that's not like saying that you don't have the claustrophobia, you Mm -hmm. don't have the flashback to her as a child. Yeah. And this is like the only time they really mentioned the fact that she was a goddess. Yeah. She was worshipped as a goddess on at, when when she was met, when they met her. Yeah. So this was like almost a breath of fresh air story-wise, but like the story itself is kind of dull and pointless. Yeah. And not written very well. Agreed. So. Agreed. So, yeah, that's these two episodes of x-men the m8 series season five yeah so next week we are back to two one part episodes in fact if i remember correctly i'm going to double check this i don't believe we have any more two-part yeah, we do not have any more two-part episodes really? of X-Men the Animated Series for the rest of the run. Except prior to the X-Men, I don't remember how long it is. It's like 30 minutes. Okay, so that's just one episode. 25 minutes. Yeah. So next week, we are going to be looking at The Fifth Horseman mm-hmm. and Jubilee's Fairy Tale Theater. Oh, gosh. <laughs> you know, I know nothing about that episode, but its name. Mm-hmm. And I'm still looking going... I've seen this episode of Power Rangers. 
Because I just suspect it's going to be that episode of season two where they end up in the fairy book. I just know it. We'll find out. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, we're reviewing that with the on our Book of Life episodes. Join us for that. You got anything else before we head out of here? Uh, I, I'm looking forward to seeing where this ends because I remember this season fairly well. I'm, kind of well but not really because there again this was the back end of this was season five and i don't quite i'd be like i remember season three and four better mm-hmm. but season five is like okay i recognize this but i don't it's not you know a total recall of everything but yeah i'm, I'm looking to see where this ends and how bad the animation gets by the end of it it, it will be interesting yes it will be so uh join us next week for those things In the meantime, this has been Drew. This is Jacob. And we'll catch you in the next frame. D-Lit! You can follow Jacob on his Facebook at Jacob B. Heron. His Facebook page, Jacob's Daily Art Corner, where he tries to draw each and every day. His Instagram at Jacob B. Heron. His Twitter at Jacob Heron. And his letterbox to Jacob Heron. You can find Drew on Facebook at Drew Dodgen. His Facebook page, Drew's photo bin to see his photography. His letterboxed page at GGeorge759. His Twitter at GGeorge759. And Instagram at Drew Dodgen. You can like us on Facebook at The Cellcast Podcast. On Twitch at The Cellcast Gaming. On YouTube at Cellcast. On Twitter at Cast underscore Cell. The Cellcast can be found at Apple Podcasts. Google Play Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else fine podcasts are downloaded from. Please rate and review us where you found us and also on Podchaser. Email us at thecellcastpodcast at gmail.com. The Cellcast is a proud member of both the Pop Americana and Culture Box Media Networks. For more information, please see the link in the description. Our theme song is Drop and Roll by Silent Partner. And remember, that's Cell with a single L.